Hey everyone, welcome back to Let's Unpack That uh, with Alex and Grace. We are so thrilled today to have Anthony Canada, CEO and co-founder of Audience Plus, or I like to call him AK for short. So <laughs> AK actually has a pretty impressive background in marketing and business, most recently founding and leading Audience Plus, but he's also been chief marketing officer at other companies like Gainsight. I remember AK and I met at our company conference, our annual yep. company conference. And then AK invited me to go to one of their fellowship and prayer meetings super early in the morning, like 7am. But I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, and so I've always admired AK just from the way that he conducts business. And he's very successful in his career, but also a strong, passionate follower of Jesus, which obviously, I really, really love the intersection of the two. So today, we're gonna understand who AK is um, at the heart <laughs> level, but also really talk about how do you integrate spiritual disciplines with your work, especially if you have like a high demand, fast paced job. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Here, Anthony. We're so yeah. honored to have you. And yeah, maybe just to start off, can you kind of share a little bit of backstory? How did you end up doing what you're doing right now? Yeah. Thank you guys. I'm so excited to, to be on the show. It's a big question. I mean, I think I, no one sort of grows up dreaming of working in enterprise software. I feel <laughs> like you sort of just find your path uh, there. For me, just as I look back on kind of the signals of my life, there were kind of shades of marketing kind of from my earliest days, like, you know, building websites, uh, kind of in my very young days in mm -hmm. college, my job on campus was to be a concert coordinator. So putting on events and then mm -hmm. even in my earliest jobs as an SDR and kind of frontline tech professional, I found my way into the events teams that were putting on events and conferences. So I feel like I've always had this sort of draw to creative side of marketing. And what's really ironic is I didn't pursue a career in, in marketing. It was Alex, our former CEO, Nick, who asked me if I would be willing to take a marketing role at Gainsight and that completely sort of, you know, changed my life. So yeah, I mean, I think I've kind of just been pushing the, the thread or whatever the saying is, like just walking through doors that God had been opening up in my life and career and just trying to be faithful. And, you know, even this jump into becoming a founder, which you know I know we'll talk about, wasn't something that I set out to do, you know, from our my earliest days of my career, just sort of walking through those doors that I feel are being opened. So yeah, so that's a very high level journey, but, you know, something that I think is a story that is still being written in a way. And it's kind of fun to see what, what God's doing. Yeah, I, I love uh, seeing your journey and you definitely had a very incredible career. Love to know, were you always creative? Were there any significant moments in your earlier years that really sparked this curiosity towards marketing? Um, it's a good, I've never answered that question before. I've never done the introspection to, to really know. I mean, I think one thing is I'm, I'm an only child same. raised by single immigrant mom. Same, same, uh, same. Yep. So my, my, uh, my mom immigrated here from Lebanon in the 1970s, I want to say, 80s. And kind of grew up balancing that culture at home and then my integration into the into the world and a lot of that was me spending a lot of time alone frankly you know and I think I don't I don't know if this is correlated but you know developing creativity when you're kind of working your imagination for me a lot of that happened on the basketball court just kind of being out there by myself shooting hoops thinking so I suspect that was like a part of it the other piece is that I remember distinctly getting an apple computer or like getting being handed down like an old apple computer when I was like I don't know 10 or something to that end it didn't do anything but like paint or whatever, whatever the Apple equivalent of paint was. But 
you know, it was a chance to tinker with with something new and and just load in like four CD-ROMs till I get one game going or whatever. So I think that there was sort of an intersection, less so on the creative side, but more on the technology side that I think kind of whet my appetite for innovation or what's new. And I think a lot of just sort of ideas that I would kind of come up with over time, I think as a child helped kind of strengthen that muscle a little bit, perhaps. First of all, I can totally relate both me and Alex. <laughs> We're also only children. We talk about this a lot, how when you're alone, you have have nothing else to entertain yourself but you. So right. <laughs> you exactly. learn to be creative. I think the first, besides Microsoft Paint, I remember being <laughs> on a Jask Paint Shop Pro. <laughs> yeah, that's what's familiar. Yeah, spending <laughs> hours. It was like the budget version of Photoshop. Like I, I wasn't ready for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so funny how God puts those seeds in um, yeah. and it leads you to where you are now. And yeah. maybe before we you know, talk about right now and like what you've been learning recently, can you talk a little bit also about your faith? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Like, did, were you aware of God leading you in these steps or was it more in retrospect you realized like he was there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I grew up in a Greek Orthodox home. And so if you've ever watched my big fat Greek wedding, that was my entire yes. childhood, basically. Yeah, so you're familiar. The lamb, the painted garage door, everything, uh, except not the painted garage door. Um, <laughs> but I grew up in a prayerful home, a home that like my mom really instilled a lot of the values in me. And I went to Lutheran preschool, Greek Orthodox elementary school, Baptist high school, and Church of Christ College. So I'm a product of Christian education as well. And I think for me, the big shift happened between elementary school and high school, sort of growing up again, in more of, as we talk about disciplines, especially like more of a sort of branch of our faith or a denomination that celebrate a bit more of the ritual, perhaps. And then I got into high school where there were like electric guitars and like people putting their hands up in the air. And I was like, what is going on? Like, is this the same, you know, faith that I know? (laughs) What first was a little bit off setting, like I just didn't didn't know how to process that, really sparked this journey for me of developing sort of my own faith, not just inheriting the faith of my family my, and my, my mom in particular. And so I think I credit that phase of my kind of walk as more of my own kind of asking some questions and really kind of, you know, the, the part I'm really like proud of and grateful for is asking those questions in the context of a community of non-denominational believers and, and Christians. And, you know, I got a chance to play in a worship band even before I knew like what worship bands were. And, and that was a chance to really kind of build relationship and have exposure to, again, the personhood uh, and the relationship of and with Jesus. So that was sort of one of the big transitions for me. And, and But I would argue like even from, from my earliest days, I've, I've definitely had sort of a awareness of the Holy Spirit and just the, the sort of work being done in my life, you know, on the personal side or work side or anything, not knowing kind of what God had planned for me, but just knowing that even though I was walking and living through the like, you know, work and school context or sports or whatever, that there was sort of a higher calling for all of my actions and words and behavior. And that was always something that I think was front of mind for me and having that awareness um, in my earliest days. I can totally relate to that because I grew up in a Catholic home where mm-hmm. it was more traditional and I would go to mass, but didn't really mm-hmm. understand it until similar to you, actually more in college, went to a worship service where it was more contemporary, modern, and that totally piqued my curiosity. It wasn't, I guess, 
boring <laughs> or yeah. it, it was more modern. <laughs> like I could relate it, relate to right. it more. Um, so totally can understand your story. But were there any significant moments in your life that really drew you more to Jesus? Like what was the spark that really yeah. put, put your for- foot forward? There's two in particular and one one more recent than than the other. One was honestly my, my relationship with my wife. Like our significant others uh, play such an important part of our own development and formation, whether that is relationally or, you know, I think even spiritually. And, you know, there was a moment early on in our dating relationship where I was like, I, I felt like I wasn't walking the walk in a way that I was sort of worthy of her love in a way. There was sort of this reckoning moment for me of saying like, hey, if I want to be deserving of the love of someone like Brittany, I've got to sort of change things in my in my life and I need to reorient myself uh, a little bit. So that was one big moment of, you know, having gone to church, Not I was never sort of like a troublemaker or anything, but like just like some real shifts in my heart that I had to make and then translate that into my actions and make sure that I was sort of living in a way that was leading me to a Christ-centered relationship, which almost 10 years into marriage now and two kids later, you know, I look back on that moment as a very important one. The other one was fairly recent and kind of, I think, talk, leads us a bit to, into this the spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. But I had a very random health scare three years ago where actually my heart went out of rhythm into wow. something wow. called an arrhythmia called uh, AFib, which is the most common arrhythmia, but the average age is like 86. Um, it is not common for 30-year-olds to experience AFib. And it, it, I'll spare the long story, but it's basically this struggle for about a week in the hospital of trying to get my heart back in rhythm and nothing working. Um, that chemical you know, medicine they were putting into me through an IV was supposed to get me back into rhythm. It didn't work. The next option was to shock my heart into rhythm, which... By the way, it's actually, scary. A, it sounds terrifying. It's a very like standard, normal procedure, but I don't want to reset my heart. That sounds like, you know, terrifying. And so I was doing literally everything I could to avoid having the shock of having to have my, my heart reset for me. And there was this moment that it led to, again, days and days into the hospital where they're like, we, there's nothing else we can do for you. Like, this is literally the only way to get your heart back in rhythm. And so I had this sort of moment of surrender. Um, and it was really kind of this very vulnerable and raw kind of conversation with God of like, look, and again, I, I didn't appreciate the time how common this procedure was, but you know, if like literally if, it, if, if, if this is it, if this is the end of my life, if as a result of tomorrow, of, of the procedure tomorrow, you know, I'm going to heaven, I just fully give control away, um, on this situation. And I just, just pray that, that you, love me and accept me and, um, you know, forgive me of, of my sin. And so the next morning felt like literally the last morning of my life. Like I'm, I'm very dramatic as an only child too. I don't know if you guys are, are as well. We are um, too. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and they checked me and I'm, I'm still in AFib and they wheel me down to like the, not the operating room, but the place that they would do the procedure. They are like getting me ready for the procedure. They're about to administer anesthesia to, to shock my heart. And the nurse says, um, you know, hey, doctor, is this the guy we're doing the, the cardio version on? And she's like, he's like, yeah. She's like, he's in rhythm. And it was within the like three minute walk or gurney ride down from the hospital room to the center where God reset my heart after medical intervention Whoa. did not 
Um, they're like, cool, you can go. <laughs> That's it. Like I just went on with my life afterwards. Oh my gosh. And it was this profound moment for me of like literally the poetic metaphor as a creative or marketer was almost too much to bear that God reset my heart for me for a purpose. And it sparked in me this, this just revival of faith and this journey that I've been on for the last again, about three years or so with my family that has gone from sort of participation in church and having sort of a rhythm around prayer, but fairly high level, going through the motions, fitting God in where I could fit him in to this like transformation of meaning and purpose, but also this active kind of discipleship quest that that my family and I are on, which led us to the practices, which led us to frankly, a bit more of a charismatic perhaps um, you know, side of, of our faith to see the Holy Spirit work um, in our lives, um, in the lives of our community and others. So it's been a crazy three years of really pursuing that feels like we're just kind of getting started that is amazing i have goosebumps right now like you can't <laughs> see but uh, that is such a crazy story i think yeah. it reminds me of you know recently actually we interviewed another lady alicia michelle on the topic of overcoming overwork and it's just crazy mm. how many people like myself alicia you i'm sure so many others actually another one david kim too we all have like health scares that oh, yeah. kind of gave you renewed clarity on life because i think most of the time we go through life uh, lost or confused because we don't have that clarity where or yeah. we forget what's actually important. Um, yeah. And so, wow, what a what a blessing in disguise yeah. to give you that little scare to kind of yeah. shock you <laughs> into re-realizing um, what's actually important, how to prioritize God and surrender to Him. Thanks for sharing. I think now we have a kind of a good idea, overview, high-level overview of your um, personal upbringing, your faith, and we now want to bring those two together, like especially a CEO and a co-founder. I know it's a very unique spot that you are in. So if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, Anthony, like as a CEO and co-founder, how do you bridge these two worlds? How do you integrate your faith with your work? Um, what would you say to them? Yeah. I mean, a few things. So no, I'd start with a disclaimer of I am not perfect. I am figuring this out. I am on a journey just like everyone that is listening to this. So please don't hear anything that I say as like, man, this guy's got it figured out because I, I definitely don't. But one kind of big thing that was realized through that experience was that work is not my identity. And that sounds like simple to say, but to deeply believe that, that work instead is an expression of my purpose. And that through everything that I do, um, and, and almost like you know, thinking about our very design as as humans and God's image to work, that sort of like be able to build some resilience to our relationship with work. When things go bad, it's not going to sink our identity if we, you know, heaven forbid, are, are laid off or whatever. Like you know, things happen in the run of work, and we don't lose sort of our, our footing and our foundation when, when that stuff happens. And we also keep some of the highs in perspective a little bit too. You know, closing a big deal, saving a customer, launching a product, hosting a conference, whatever. There's a lot of dopamine hits in business. And I think being appreciative and joyful and, and, and loving those, those moments, but then kind of just keeping work sort of in perspective is kind of where I start. And the second thing, which has been especially helpful as a founder, has been integrating sort of and creating really a rule of life around that relationship with work. You know, I've got two small kids at home. I mentioned my wife and I are almost at 10 years of, of marriage. Like, it's important to me to have appreciation for how important work is in context of purpose, but also knowing that my faith and my family come first, hands down. Like, 
being very transparent about that, right? With customers or whatever, not that it comes up in every customer call, but like that's fundamentally like how I am built and, and driven. And so having a rule of life has really been helpful to just establish a lot of the rhythms that can help me be productive when I am at work, but then also help me be a, you know, a leader in the home, leader of my children and build a relationship with my children. That's, I think, a big part of it is establishing sort of a rule of life. And then third, I would say is maybe uniquely as a founder, integrating the rule of life into the culture that you're creating. We're in a unique position as founders that we're not just inheriting another culture, we're able to shape it into something. And so, you know, we're thinking about some fun and interesting ways to basically, we're not a, you know, Christian nonprofit or anything along those lines, but how can we think about some of these underlying principles around rest and you know integrity and find ways to kind of build those into the fabric of how we build the company and how we run the company? And I think these are universally held principles. They're they're hard coded into the design of humanity, and so if we're able to kind of build for that, you're able to create a great workplace um, and also help folks, you know, as they, for those that are believers and are pursuing Jesus, that it work is sort of a, a healthy part of that, um, that walk. Wow. That, that's amazing. For a lot of our listeners, they may not know what a rule of life is. So AK, can you explain what a rule of life is? Yeah. Yeah. One last disclaimer is this is all new to me the last three years. And so this is stuff that I'm shocked, um, has not been taught in the local church, has not been um, at least as far in my own kind of lived experience, has not been something that has been on the forefront of our you know best practice in, in faith. But there's nothing more ancient um, and orthodox than this, which is a big part of my the, the aha moment that I've had with all of this. So rule of life is effectively saying that we're going to build rhythms into how we operate and live in this you know in our time here on earth to live in tune with the spirit, to live and kind of build sort of practices within how we operate that are in line with our divine creation or how we were sort of created. So basically this is something that in, I I would imagine, I'm not a church historian or anything, but in like the post-enlightenment, like we've kind of moved away from some of these things. But even if you look back in the last 50, 60 years um, within you know America, where we are here, there have been things like, call it a Sabbath, that have been kind of in the fabric of how we operated as a culture and society. In a lot of places in this country, you still can't you know buy liquor on Sundays. You know, Stores are still closed on Sundays. And we've really, I think, moved away from, from some of this, the rule of life practices, at least at that intersection point with culture really in the last several decades. But I'd argue even the church has been so focused on evangelism, which is great and amazing. And we need that, that we sort of lost lost our own kind of habitual communal experiences with things like fasting and things like, you know, listening prayer and hospitality and community. And we've sort of just kind of forgotten some of these things. And so I think a rule of life is basically adopting some of these practices into how and integrating them into how we operate, whether that's as a family, whether it's as an individual and kind of creating a more healthy relationship with our schedule and with our time and with our relationships to others. How did you come across the rule of life and these spiritual disciplines? Because I think a lot of people might abstractly have heard of them, but how did you actually start to learn and move into, like you were talking about, creating a rule of life or these disciplines for your company that you run? This is going to be a very long story told very fast. So otherwise I'll take take the whole the whole time. But it was right before COVID, right during the beginning part of COVID, during the protests that were happening around George Floyd's you know, murder mm-hmm. and all of the kind of racial tension and folks were kind of taking to the streets. I remember feeling so just 
heavy and heartbroken over what was happening in our country and in our culture. And it was a Saturday. And I remember going to church that Sunday, just wanting to hear just something about how, how can I, as a, as a believer, respond to injustice and have a, a proactive kind of step forward in, in this. So I just didn't know how, I wasn't equipped with how to deal with, with this hurt. And I went to the church that we were attending at the time. It wasn't addressed. People didn't bring it up. Um, the past never got brought up from the pulpit and the message that was preached was around like joy or something that felt very disconnected tone from deaf. what was happening. Tone deaf. tone deaf. Yeah. And that was, was so confusing to me because I was like, gosh, what, like, how can we move on? How can we be equipped and be discipled in a way where we know how to respond in like outside of this place, outside of this place, we spend an hour, an hour and a half every Sunday. Right. And at the time, I was reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Such a good book. Um, <laughs> such a good book. And um, it was, you know, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about it, but I'm reading this book and just like taking it all in, right? COVID happens. And I was like, all right, who's this John Mark Comer guy? Research him. And he's a pastor of a church at the time in Portland, Oregon called Bridgetown. And so we started attending Bridgetown virtually from Phoenix because everyone was attending church uh, virtually at the time. Every Sunday we would watch, you know, the live stream, like they would talk about rule of life. You know, I think in general, that church community in Portland has been really incubating this kind of curriculum for spiritual disciplines and for discipleship for, for years. And it was all new to me. Um, it was relevant to what was happening in culture. It wasn't like partisan or anything. It was very orthodox to you know the word of God, but it sort of the, the soil was very fertile for that seed that came in that said, you know, hey, there there is actually a way for us to pursue Christ likeness in our actions and thoughts. Um, and as an only child who is weirdly obsessed with control and everything, like I loved that. I was like, I can do things to draw closer to God. Like, what are what are those things? And so that's where really a lot of it started. And since then, we've been able to uh, I've been able to build a relationship with John Mark, um, who's incredible. Um, we're you know part of his new organization, practicing the way that's actually working to take what they've built in Portland and operationalize it across the global church, which has been really a blessing to, to be a part of. And so, you know, I think like I opened with, I'm, I'm very new to a lot of this stuff, but, you know, we're trying to implement a Sabbath practice within our home, um, thinking about prayer in a very different um, way. Fasting is sort of the next kind of big, big thing for us to really take on. So we're very excited about that. And God has really opened up a lot of doors in a weird way to get connected to John Mark and to Bridgetown and to Practicing the Way. And to me, that's just another example we talked about earlier of just taking faithful steps, seeing that I think there's a reason that I'm kind of moving in this direction, the Spirit's pushing me kind of in this direction. And so not knowing you know, where it's headed, but just taking the next step in front of me. Wow. I love your intentionality, you know, like taking steps to actually reach out to him and really <laughs> integrating it into what you're doing now. I remember when I first heard about it from Alex, who was sharing with me that you're doing this and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love John Mark and practicing the yeah. way. And, you know, we're actually um, diving into that even more. We can actually link that into the description for people right. who want to learn about that. It's really, really helpful because they do have free resources for you to learn mm -hmm. more. I'll just share a really quick, funny story. That book, um, I was... <laughs> listening to this book on 1.75 no one point <laughs> like one point something x speed um and i was driving and i did it i was so into the book uh ruthless elimination of hurry that i was speeding and i didn't even realize 
Yeah. And then a cop pulled me over. Oh no. Um, and I ended up getting a ticket. And oh no. It was just God's funny way of being like, you need to take this seriously. Just because yeah. you're listening to this book or reading this book, you need to live it out, not just yeah, you know, wow. listen to it and absorb in your head. Just like you said, you know, we're none of us are perfect. We're still learning. Um, but I think if people can just be encouraged, like you don't have to be perfect or nail it right away, but just take little steps of like, how could I integrate this into my everyday yeah. life or my um, work? You know, I think just the attempt of doing it is already goes yeah. a long way. That's why I really like the term, um, nothing wrong with the term spiritual disciplines, but I like the term spiritual practices that, mm-hmm. that John Mark has kind of been hooking onto because it's not, you're not perfect. Like there's no, like there's only one who has ever walked to this earth that was perfect. And so this is about a pursuit of Christ-likeness. And so I think about it through context of practices. I give myself a little permission to say, hey, like I don't have to like, you know, feel like I'm a horrible kind of Christian if I, you know, didn't fast that day because I had a big event at work or whatever, you know, the the situation is. It's about sort of like everything in life and sports and everything, learning from practice in pursuit of perfection, which for us is is pursuing Christ. So whatever it's worth, like yeah, I think that took a little bit of pressure off me in in this sort of journey. Yeah, it's all about practice. And I know you're a Kobe Bryant fan. <laughs> so, I am. I am. <laughs> yeah, he's a prime example of that. Yeah, totally. Um, so, so you talked about Sabbath with your family. Can you sort of walk us through your typical workday and your schedule and how everything just integrates together, both personally and at work? Yeah, totally. So you know, I think one of the big eye-opening things for me on Sabbath in particular was just how much the sort of six-day-on, one-day-off rhythm is hard-coded into not just people, but like literally just every kind of form of life on this planet. In my earlier parts of my career, Saturdays were a great day to catch up on work. It was a great day to get ahead. It was a great day to whatever. And I think the big kind of aha moment with Sabbath in particular was, okay, not only is this thing like actually in line with, you know, physiological makeup of my personhood, two, it's this free gift where we get to like pursue joy and, and put our anxieties away and just, you know, worship in every sort of uh, extension of the word. So it's it's like a free thing that we're given that we just don't take God up on very often. Um, And so that sort of changed it. And then I think the piece as a a professional, as an entrepreneur, an executive that kind of changed it for me was I can be better in my six days if I take this one day and completely disconnect from work, completely get away from it. Because there have been some days, you know, the entrepreneurship thing is, is pretty new to me, but it's like, you know, you're on the road or you're just emotional, a lot of highs and lows, a lot of context switching from like, you know, a customer signs and an investor like may not believe and then an employee, you know, resigns. And then like, you know, you get a great piece of, you know, coverage and press and you're just like that batting back and forth, is just so exhausting. So I found that Sabbath almost saves me every Friday night um, because wow. I'm just like, I'm not transitioning into this like fading into Sabbath as an entrepreneur. I'm sliding into home and just like it's a hard stop into Sabbath dinner every Friday night. And what I find is I can get back up on Sunday afternoon, evening when I'm getting back on my emails, certainly Monday morning in a way that I thought would be impossible based on how exhausted I felt on Friday. And so absolutely, I found it to be extremely, extremely impactful. And I found, you know, back to the idea of practices when I break it. Um, it's a, I'm a mess. Like I, my, my Monday, you know, I'm not in a great place and it's hard for me to get, get going again. It's by Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning till I find my rhythm again for the week. So I definitely find that to be true. 
outside the context of Sabbath, or I think they say there is some saying around like that the Sabbath, the, the dividends or the fruits of the Sabbath kind of play out throughout your week as well. And so, so for me, it's really just being intentional with time. It's making sure that I'm starting my morning in prayer and solitude and trying to kind of uh, orient myself that way, spending as much time with my kids before logging on for the day, which is not much, you know, but you know, whether it's breakfast or something. And then like, honestly, just being extremely impactful for my time where I'm clocked in proverbially, and then setting up the right boundaries after work. And that happens in a couple of ways. One, dinner with it, with the family every single night. And then when I'm traveling, my commitment to my wife is that I'll be home by Sabbath. So if I'm gone, you know, two or three days, like I'm taking the, the flight Thursday night or Friday morning to make sure I'm back home um, when I need to be. So it goes back to this idea of work as an expression of purpose versus identity it's, and how you sort of stack rank, you know, the importance. I'm going to try to, you know, optimize my life around my walk with, with Jesus and my relationship with my wife and, and kids, and then develop this sort of rhythm around work where for those, you know, eight, nine hours that I'm at work, I am impactful and I am present and I am not distracted because of the investment made outside of those hours, if that makes sense. Mm. In reality, a lot of people struggle. And I think part of that is because our culture, you know, promotes this hustling, always working around the clock. And even though we, you know, want to take Sabbath or want to be resting, there's just constant external and internal pressure to be on. So um, can you just dive a little bit? I'm wondering, like, emotionally speaking, when you have those tension points of, oh, there's a, you know, business opportunity, or this could mm-hmm. really help our company in the long term, but you know, you have family obligations. Yeah. What do you do internally to help you remember what's truly important? Yeah. Again, it's, it's imperfect, but catching up where you need to catch up, but not at the cost of, again, your walk or your relationships with your family. So for example, you know, yesterday was a heavy Monday, a lot of meetings didn't get through my email, but we have, you know, some big kind of customer relationships that are being developed after the kids kind of went to bed, you know, I pulled the laptop out a little bit and worked a little bit and that's okay. You know, but I tried not to just come home and transition from work to the drive home to like back to work. It was like, no, I need to like be very thoughtful about this. Like, two hour window and then give myself permission to catch up later at the cost of my own sleep, maybe. But like, I'd rather make that trade off than at the cost of that time with kids. So part of it is just like, you know, when you're a busy parent, um, especially, or, you know, or you're just busy with other kind of obligations kind of beyond work, everything's trade off when it comes to time, everything is a trade off. And sometimes you have to lean more into work. And sometimes, you know, you have it a little bit easier and you don't have to, you know, you can kind of, you know, fill up in kind of other areas, fill up that your time in other areas. I will comment on the external pressure though, because I think as a society, we've reached a bit of a tipping point with hustle culture, with this endless pursuit of productivity, with, you know, do more with less. Like we're just continually been hitting that drumbeat for so long. And I think what we saw with was all of that just stopped and suddenly it didn't matter. And we were like all at home, a whole kind of spectrum of emotions. And we still had to go to work every day. And we did through virtual and through other other things. And there are some really good things that came from that. There are some things that, that are not. But I think our, even outside the context of Christians who are working in the workplace, I think we're tired of working in cultures where that's kind of what's going to be demanded of us. And so I would say if you're listening and you're like, hey, I don't feel supported in my current 
like workplace to have any margin in my life, um, whatever that is. Or if I were to sort of think about taking a step and building a rule of life or whatever, I feel like I would fail at work or get fired. I would definitely question whether you should stay at that at that company, not to be dramatic, but I think that we need to be really thoughtful about the values of the businesses that we join and the, the cultures that are being, cre- being created because that's not ultimately like it's not sustainable. And to your point from the last episode, like burning out and having even health scares and everything, it's just not, it's just not worth it. And I promise you there is a company out there that is values driven and it will kind of champion kind of the whole person, not just as a function of attracting great new teammates, but actually discipling their existing employees and helping them develop um, and be great at work kind of along the way. So I wanted to just speak to that because I don't think that, I think many of us are working for companies that aren't going to perhaps, you know, let us adopt a lot of things I'm saying. And I, I would just challenge like whether or not that's a, the right place. I'm sure people will be listening to this and wonder if you're hiring. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a are. company called hiring. Audience Plus. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. One of our, um, this is kind of, interesting, but one of our values is ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Um, oh, wow. And we've sort of implemented, much like Gainsight, by the way, I think by my other language, a digital Sabbath on Saturdays. So no email, no Slack, like those types of things. Wow. Um, we pay for people to go on vacation once a year just to actually like try to like run wow. away from the unlimited PTO thing where people don't take PTO, but actually encourage them to find rest and all of that sort of thing. And we challenge, you know, we ruthlessly work to eliminate signal of hurry within our business, which is not speed. Speed is working fast in a direction that is that where there's alignment of resources and vision and good communication. We can, we can work with haste, but hurry happens when there is no vision, um, where there's bad communication, where the team you know, got cut in half and the expectations doubled. And that's where the seeds of hurry get planted within a culture. So we take this to heart and kind of how we're building the company where every, everyone at the business has permission to call out hurry when they see it. And we have to figure out a way to adapt and make sure that we're, we're not leading us in that, into that burnout direction. Good. I love that. It sounds like such a great culture to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, um, yeah, we're excited about it. Works. I'm <laughs> looking up on the jobs page after. <laughs> Yes. So now that we have sort of a picture of you now with the rule of life and practices, I'm just really curious, what was AK like before rule of life? Like, how did you work? What was going on internally? I'm sure externally was crazy too, but more internally. Um, well, it led to me in a hospital with a heart arrhythmia. So, uh, it wasn't good is the, is the punchline. You know, I think that I just, I put so much, so high of an emphasis and I still beat this thought back when it happens because it, it just happens, I think, to any high achiever or anyone that's, you know, super ambitious. But like I put so much emotion into my work. I can't help it. Um, and so when things are going good, I'm just like super fired up. Um, and again, have to now be aware of that, those dopamine spikes. And then when things aren't good, I, I used to bring that home with me. And I still struggle sometimes with that. The, the person that actually really helped me with that was, was Nick Meta, our, our CEO from Gainsight. Oh wow! There was a mo- yeah. There there was a moment where we were walking around the block because I was like, I need to talk to you. I'm so frustrated with something. And then we're walking around, and he, him being the good CEO that he is, the great CEO that he is, just like let me vent and kind of tell him how I was feeling about probably the stupidest thing ever, like a campaign or a landing page, whatever. <laughs> um, and at the end of it, he's like, basically, like, are you done? I'm like, yeah. And and he was like, dude, it's just a job. Wow, and your CEO that, said that. 
My our CEO. CEO. <laughs> our CEO, the person who I was working hard to perform for, who I cared about delivering and all of that sort of stuff. And, and he just helped me, I think, like realize that, again, even when things are at their best or worst within work, it's it's just a job. And that, that really helped change kind of my my feeling and trying to not not take the emotion out of my work, but again, go back to like a healthier relationship with it. And I have spent a lot of time actually talking after this health scare with CEOs who are much older than me, who have gone before, who are some that are like even elderly at this point. And they cite this as actually one of the ways they maintained their health as they built companies, like physical health, not just spiritual health, was this idea of not bringing work home with you and kind of keeping the emotions kind of, you know, at bay a little bit. So I found that to be really wise because to answer your question, you know, if, if things weren't going good at work, I weren't going good at home and I was frustrated and it, w- it would show up in my relationships and that sort of thing. This is like another episode in itself, but um, I can totally relate with that because I think this was last year or the year before when I was talking to my therapist, uh, she's a Christian too. So I was just sharing like, you know, I don't get it. My work, I love it so much. I'm so into it, but I just have so much trouble balancing like the rest of my life. And she's like, she basically challenged me to envision my life as a pie. And then I, through that exercise, I realized that almost all my thoughts were revolving around work when in reality, life is so much more than just that work, right? But I do think, you know, back to your point, when you're talking about like hustle culture and what's glorified now, we just hear so many people and amazing, very quote unquote successful people talking about they're obsessed with their work. That's all they can do, all they can think about, eat, sleep, work. It's all blended together. Um, And so I do think just to your point about like, how do we separate ourselves from work? and remember work it's not our identity it's not who we yeah. are it's a part of our lives and our stewardship but it's not um, our end-all be-all yeah when we um were talking about this question we really want to hear your thoughts on the future of work like business entrepreneurship even creative you know marketing that you're in mm-hmm. what do you see spiritual disciplines what role do you see it playing um, when it comes to excelling in all these areas as a believer yeah Well, it feels like spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, creating a rule of life, just sort of this renewed focus on discipleship. I think it'll go from being a fringe thing that we read about in some books or out of a church in Portland or whatever to mainstream within the local church. And I I don't think that will come from like, you know, doesn't matter how amazing like organizations like Practicing the Way are, you know, it it will only come from two things, a move of God that I believe is, is happening. But two, this sort of like desperation of people who I think are drawn to this conversation around faith and work, because as we increasingly work and and seek to find success in industries, many secular industries, we are increasingly working in a post-Christian context. Just sort of this notion of like praying the sinner's prayer and then get back out there isn't going to cut it for us. Like we, we need to be investing in our foundations. We need to be seeking Christ actively. We need to be using the the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives inside of us, this powerful concept. Like it sounds ridiculous that we don't often just like wake up and just it's untapped like blow our minds. Exactly. That all of this is is within our within us and available to us and a gift to us that we don't deserve what we have unless we're sort of leveraging it, harnessing it out of desperation, frankly, of moving forward. I don't think, like, I think it's just going to be extremely difficult to operate as believers in any industry. 
um, mm. moving forward. Yeah. And the relationship with work is going to be even more, even harder than, than we had it, I think, for, for our children. So I think that this conversation is happening and there's people that are, you know, it's increasingly getting into the forefront of our, of our um, dialogue, I would say, as a global church community. And I think it's coming at the perfect time because from a societal, cultural perspective, like we need to reinvest and reignite discipleship into our own lives in order to just exist and be in this next chapter of work. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a verse. I think it's uh, from Matthew 16. For what shall it profit a man if he in the whole world mm. and loses his soul? So yeah. what you were saying just reminded me of that because we can increase revenue by X, get promoted, three times within one year, but all yeah. that for the loss of your soul is meaningless. Um, yeah, so thank absolutely. you for sharing that, man. What would be your top recommendation for a practical step that listeners could take this week to begin incorporating those spiritual disciplines into their work life? I mean, it started with me with that book. So if you get pick up Ruthlessly Eliminate, hurry. Uh, maybe, maybe don't read it while driving. Read it uh, at the comfort <laughs> of your home. Yes. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> or listen to it or whatever. Sorry. You know, I, I think that just getting getting read up on this stuff, right? And read and think in First Corinthians where it talks about, you know, the giftings of, of the spirit, the manifestations of the spirit. You see that like there are resources to kind of get get started with this stuff. I don't want to sound like a practicing the way commercial, but like I think they're trying to codify that and actually create small group resources. And there's like podcasts you can listen to around it. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out. But I think, you know, like anything in life, starting small. Like thinking like, what's one little thing I think is the root of your question, whether that's, hey, this Saturday, I'm going to take this like digital appendage that I have and put it in a drawer for 24 hours. I'm going to seek disconnection and slow down and try to, you know, just be intentional with my day. I think that's a decent place to start and just invite the spirit to work in uh, in your life uh, for those 24 hours. So I, I'd probably start there, but there's, you know, there's a lot of good wisdom on this um, that's starting to get written. Yeah, I love that podcast. I think also for anyone who struggles with doing it and just staying disciplined, um, I think one thing that helps a lot is just bringing other people with you to do it together mm -hmm. to keep each other accountable. So even if you have just one other person, two other people in your life that you're like, maybe they'd be interested in doing this with me, taking a Sabbath on Saturdays. We've loved like creating a bit of a ritual around how we open Sabbath. So Friday night and doing a Sabbath dinner. Mm -hmm. And so that's been really fun, whether it's just you and your family or you and your community or whatever, but like have this like amazing, fun, like killer dinner on Friday nights that help kind of start the, the spirit of Sabbath, you know, on, on a super high note. So I love the, I love that idea of yeah, bringing community into, into it. Right. It is meant to be a fun communal thing anyway, yeah. <laughs> when you look at the biblical context. So yeah, well, thank you so much, Anthony. This was so eye-opening, enlightening. Before we end, what are you currently working on these days and how can people find you if they want to connect? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm starting a company called Audience Plus and that's taking, you know, six days of my of my life very intentionally. But no, it's uh, if you go to audienceplus.com, um, you can subscribe there. We're creating a lot of content around media and how the intersection of, of content and media and experiences with business with B2B uh, specifically. And so if you're a marketer or a founder or you know, someone interested in that topic in general, uh, that'd be a great place to, to check out and stay in touch. Great. Thanks, AK. Really appreciate you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. 
If you liked our podcast, we want to ask you to help more people learn how to grow closer to God and experience the fullness He has for them by taking just 30 seconds right now to rate and review this podcast or like and subscribe on YouTube. It's a small action, but it makes a big difference so we can continue serving you with resources like this. And we'd love to hear from you about your reflections and questions for us to unpack in the future. We invite you to share this episode and tag us and follow us for more encouragement and helpful tools for living fully the way God designed you to. We pray that God fills you with his love, his joy, his peace, and his wisdom as you continue growing in your daily walk with him. We're so grateful for you and we can't wait to see you again next week. See you soon.